from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. This week, I'm joined by a professor at Texas A&M San Antonio. Not that one out in College Station, but the one that we have here uh, in San Antonio where we're recording uh, this program. We're going to talk about their Center for Information Technology and Cybersecurity. Dr. Barton, thank you for joining us this week. All right. Thank you very much. So for those that have uh, been listening to the program they've heard about cyber patriot they've uh, heard from some of the stuff going on up at utsa and they've uh, those that have listened have realized we've got a lot of, of cybersecurity stuff going on here um, one of the things i don't think we have talked about or even in any of the other uh, programs is uh, about the great program that you guys have uh, down at texas a&m san antonio and uh, what we have going on uh, at san antonio's newest uh, four-year college can you share a little background on when the A&M system decided to open up a campus here in San Antonio and then uh, how you found your way over there to uh, get involved in teaching some cybersecurity classes? Uh, absolutely. So uh, um, Texas A&M San Antonio uh, first started offering courses as uh, essentially an extension campus to um, uh, Texas A&M Kingsville. Uh, we started offering courses here in 2000. And then in uh, 2008, we became an independent institution um, as Texas A&M San Antonio, uh, but at the time we were still accredited as under Kingsville, A&M Kingsville, and then in 2014 um, secured our own independent accreditation, uh, regional accreditation, and then uh, in 2016 began um, our first, uh, start accepting our first um, freshman and sophomore students, and so the, the it, a&M San Antonio has kind of gone through an evolution of being basically an extension A&M Kingsville to our own independent campus, uh, still continuing to grow. You know, right now we've got uh, um, three main buildings, uh, two additional buildings are in, under construction, our first uh, first student housing. And then we've got what I'm really excited about is a, a STEM building that's under construction where all the computing labs and the computing faculty uh, we'll move into that STEM building when it be, when it opens in about uh, about twelve months. About twelve months for that that STEM building, but the student housing will be uh, open for the uh, students coming back in uh, after the summer break. Here, I heard. Yes, uh, student housing opens in uh, this coming August, and so we will after one year after having uh, started accepting uh, uh, freshmen and sophomore students on campus, um, we'll actually have freshmen and sophomore students living on campus. Yeah. So with this evolution going through, how did uh, A&M San Antonio decide to uh, teach uh, cybersecurity and have that as an emphasis in their uh, computer science department? Well, the, uh, so the computing programs, um, so specifically computer information systems, uh, we, when, when A&M San Antonio launched uh, here in San Antonio, uh, that was one of the programs that we launched with was computer information systems. At that time, um, the uh, I was not at A&M San Antonio at the time, but the faculty members that were there were working with uh, the San Antonio Cyber Innovation and Research Consortium, 
And uh, w- that consortium was stood up as part of the effort to attract uh, 24th Air Force to San Antonio. Well, that succeeded, but in that same process, the the university picked up on a on a focus of um, information security. And in 2012, they secured their first uh, NSA DHS designation as a Center of Academic Excellence in Information Assurance. And we have concentrated on on security since uh, since really uh, the beginning of the institution here in San Antonio. Um, and, and part of you know part of that pressure is the demand by industry and by government right here in San Antonio for that skill. But you know there's also a national demand that we're trying to meet. Um, it become continues to be a, a national focus item. Uh, there's not enough professionals in cybersecurity, and uh, we're trying to help fill that gap with all the other institutions here in San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, this city's done a, a great job uh, in working with the private sector, with uh, organizations and foundations, collaborating with the universities to get uh, a bunch of, of programs up and going uh, to fill that need here uh, locally for the over 100 cybersecurity companies we have uh, headquartered in the city today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- I mean, it really is um, a deliberate effort by the city, a deliberate effort by uh, the greater chamber and, and even the other chambers here in town. Um, and, and through that deliberate effort, uh, back in, I don't know, 2008 or something of trying to attract 24th air force and ultimately succeeding in that effort. Yeah, no, and that 24 air force has done nothing but grow since I uh, get here. The, uh, yeah, the, the future of, I think the, the military is going to be very cyber based. Uh, so it's, a, a great for us to have this here uh it's great for um our higher education institutions for our economy overall um in san antonio and for even the the private sector tech companies to be able to have the opportunity to to collaborate with um, nsa here in texas and with the the air force and with um, the fbi having a cyber here there's a, a great mix of the the higher education research uh along with uh, public and private sector uh, cyber all going on across the city. Oh, absolutely. So we've had a number of folks on uh, related to Cyber Patriot um, all the way up to uh, Retired Two Star that uh, has uh, helped get that program up and going. Um, so it, and for those uh, new to listening, you can uh, go listen to our rebroadcast or replay to learn more in depth about Cyber Patriot, but it's effectively a team sport uh, cybersecurity competition for uh, kids in high school and even down into middle school. Now we've had um, on some of the coaches that have taken some of their uh, teams from the San Antonio area to nationals and have even won at that level. Uh, and you can listen and learn uh, all about that Cyber Patriot program uh, on those past broadcasts, uh, either via iTunes podcasts, Pocket Casts, uh, or on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Um, up at the collegiate level, there is a collegiate uh, cyber competition that goes on there as well as my understanding. And um, can you guys participate in that? Yeah. So the the competition you're referring to is the uh, National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, uh, CCDC. So CCDC is uh, is actually um, was a brainchild and and uh, uh, by uh, UTSA and and their Center for Inf- Infrastructure Assurance and Security, um, and uh, and so that competition um, is still held every year right here in San Antonio, um, but there's regional competitions to be able to qualify to get to 
the national competition. And the regional competitions, kind of like Cyber Patriot, uh, starts off with a, a round that is um, completely virtual, and then um, it's, a, it's an elimination round. So after you go through the virtual competition, there's uh, will be a select set of teams that go to a regional competition that will be hosted by one of the universities in the region. Uh, the universities that have hosted our region, Southwest uh, CCDC, um, have you know were at one time Texas A&M College Station uh, for I think it was from 2012 to or maybe it was 2013 to 2016. Uh, it was uh, Texas A&M San Antonio. Uh, we hosted that competition uh, for the region uh, right here in at our campus when we were at at the time at Brooks Brooks Air Force Base or Brooks City Base. Um, so we have had, we have, we organized and hosted that competition for four years. And then we've had teams that have competed in that competition, uh, probably since we had, we first got off, uh, first got our computing programs off the ground. Um, it has, you know, security has been a focus, uh, since at least 2008 in, uh, at Texas and AM San Antonio. And we've had teams competing, uh, probably since that period, we've, had teams that have advanced to uh, the regional competition, uh, but we've never had a team yet quite advanced to the national competition. So this uh, cyber defense competition at the collegiate level is getting uh, picked up uh, across the whole country, started here in San Antonio. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Well, it started as a national competition, but it was, uh, you know, it was um, created and um, and is organized uh, by UTSA here in San Antonio. Um, but at, at its uh, at its inception, it was a national competition. There's also some uh, some uh, local competitions to include. Uh, like one of the one of the most popular is uh, Panoply. Um, so Panoply is sort of like a capture the flag, whereas uh, CCDC is more of uh, you could consider it like securing an enterprise environment, um, where the the teams are only securing their 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 hosts and defending them against attack um, in the Panoply competition. There's, there's essentially resources out there, uh, you know, web servers, FTP servers, whatever, that uh, that are set out there as targets, and all the teams try and capture those targets and then hold on to them. Yeah. So uh, offensive versus a defensive competition. Yeah, and, and and the Panoply, you know, it's 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 a local competition. It was uh, the the students loved that one because they throw them all in the same big room, or they did up until this past year. They would put them all in the same big room. And uh, and there was you know missiles and noise and uh, pizza or whatever it takes to entertain them. Yeah. And uh, and they'd go at it. But uh, this past year it sort of outgrew itself and um, and the the students were it was a virtual competition. But uh, our our students have competed in Panoply some um, some other cyber defense competitions CCDC uh, some forensics competitions. They're they're competing every year in one competition or another. Yeah. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, joined this week by Dr. Kevin Barton at uh, Texas A&M San Antonio. Uh, we're talking about the cybersecurity programs and computer information systems programs they have here, uh, some of the competitions the uh, teams participate in, and uh, all about the cybersecurity uh, workforce and where the the world is headed uh, in the need for uh, all of these cyber skilled professionals. Just before that brief uh, interlude, we were, uh, he had mentioned Panoply and some of these uh, 
different competitions here in town. So Panoply being a, a capture the flag competition, the, the first time me as a, as a cybersecurity professional heard about a capture the flag competition was at a conference called DEFCON. Uh, any of your students go uh, out to try to compete in, I think that's probably still the number one capture the flag competition is at that event. Uh, we have, uh, we've definitely had students that have gone to DEFCON. I don't know that uh, we've had students uh, that have competed in their capture the flag, but we've had students and we've had faculty that have gone uh, presented and participated at DEFCON. Yeah, no, it's a it's an interesting conference for sure. Uh, it used to be uh, very under the radar and behind the scenes, and then uh, there used to be a spot the Fed competition uh, at DEFCON back in the early days because it was all underground hackers at this, and now. Um, you've uh, recently, with the increased uh, need in cybersecurity from a national defense perspective, uh, you've had the, the head of the NSA out there officially even on stage um, speaking at the conference, which uh, a decade or a, more ago um, would have been unheard of. Now that we've sufficiently uh, got some kids uh, excited about cybersecurity, and uh, especially if DEF CON, which maybe I didn't mention, is hosted in Las Vegas every year. So if you want a, a reason to go to Vegas and uh, be, uh, you get your parents to pay for a trip out there, uh, there's a legitimate cybersecurity reason to go do so. Uh, so if, if you were going to go to Texas A&M San Antonio, uh, what sort of degree programs, um, certificates, and other things uh, do students have for educational options? So we have, uh, we have uh, in the computing fields, we have uh, essentially three degrees right now. We have a, a Bachelor of Business Administration in Computer Information Systems. We have a business, or I'm sorry, a, uh, a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. And what we have, or what, what we also call the, uh, the BAS, the Bachelor of Applied Arts and Science in Information Technology. Uh, so all three of those programs have, um, have uh, tracks in, they have the basic degree program, but they have tracks in uh, information security, uh, enterprise resource planning, and project management. Uh, so specific sort of to this topic is uh, the tracks in information system security. So kind of a subset of that is uh, a set of courses that make up the core curriculum um, that is sought by NSA and DHS uh, in what they had previously called their information assurance education tracks or their information assurance education. Uh, now they call cyber defense education. Um, so San Antonio was designated a, a center of academic excellence in this field uh, originally back in 2012. Uh, in the period from 2012 to uh, 2000 or 2016 or 2015, there was a there was an effort by uh, the institutions that are designated as, as centers um, to basically raise the bar on um, the curriculum requirements and the and the other program requirements uh, for being designated a center of ac academic excellence uh, in cyber. Through that process, they updated the curriculum. And that curriculum now is called the Cyber Defense Program Path. We are in the process right now of uh, of seeking re redesignation as from previously a information assurance education to cyber defense education. And students who complete that program path are awarded a certificate in cyber defense education. And those requirements to be awarded that that certificate are established by NSA, DHS. Uh, and so the, uh, 
the students that are going to be starting in fall of um, 2018 that would go through that program um, would be eligible upon completion to to be awarded that cyber defense education certificate. It's uh, one to show uh, just the the speed and pace at which uh, university curriculum is evolving these days, and maybe inside the university doesn't feel like it's evolving too quick or maybe it does but from an outside perspective to watch a, a university go through with an information assurance program and turn it into a cyber defense program um, over the course of time when i uh, took computer science now back 20 years ago uh, we didn't even have computer networking classes um, like my campus was one of the early campuses connected to the internet um, but they didn't teach anything about computer networking we had hardware design we had basic software um, our architecture and um all of the programming things you need to learn from a computer theory perspective, but uh, none of it sounds like what's being taught these days. Right. So the, um, the, you know, part of the challenge is kind of building that foundation of, um, of basic computing skills. So whether it's computer information systems some programming, some networking, um, that core fundamental requirement that, that every, um, computing student would, would gain, um, but then on top of that, you have to you have to prepare the students for uh, for what is going to be a challenge when they first get out into the field. Re- really, even they're going to face a lot of those security challenges, even if their primary concentration in the industry is not security. If they're if they're system administrators or developers or something, they're gonna they're gonna have to be prepared for that. So even our students that are not in that security track get exposed to some security curriculum. Yeah. But the students that are in the security track um, will will get a get a range of coursework from uh, network security, computer security, host security, um, even physical security, and uh, and you know the things that that really excites them: policy and management, those things. Yeah, um, all, all the different domains of the CISSP. It sounds exactly. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So whether whether it's the domains of the CISSP or the domains of the security plus they're kind of the same right yeah uh, there's a little bit different um uh, depth of training or education in those different domains but but it's the same set of domains um and and so they'll, they'll get a they'll get a like an introductory course in all of those but as they get nearer completion of the program um there's also going to probably be courses that they're going to be exposed to that are um, that are going to be more hands-on. So like the ultimate, or the, I say the ultimate, but the, the culminating course is a uh, security operations and practicum course. And so in that course, they, they build and harden and secure and then do you know, what in, the, in DOD was considered certification and accreditation on that, on that network that they build in the course. And so w- one of the things that, that all of our security courses and and even our fundamental uh, computing courses focuses on is um, is hands-on and so in the past when students had to use basically a a hardware machine for a lot of reasons they were limited in how much autonomy they had on that machine right but we use a lot of virtualization and and i'm sure all the schools in town uses a lot of virtualization and so that gives us the, the the ability to give students sort of the free reign to break a machine, which also gives them a lot better learning experience. So we're doing a lot of virtualization. Yeah, back in, in 
my days in school, we, we all had user level uh, access onto a, a shell server. Uh, or if we were in the lab, we could uh, export an X Windows display over to that. None of us were given root access, uh, except uh, every Friday, we were our, our systems were predominantly HP UX. And uh, every Friday at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, there was a hacker back at that point in the time that would publish an HP bug of the week, which was a... Uh, user level uh, privilege escalation to give yourself root on the machine, uh, which our uh, head of uh, of systems operation at the university at the time just really really loved that. So uh, it got to the the point where eventually they started kicking everybody off the systems at three thirty on Friday afternoon because then he had to find out what the bug was, figure out if there was a patch or a way to mitigate it before they could let people back on uh, to the systems again because uh, everyone was sitting there waiting for the the HP bug of the week to get posted up on Usenet. And then download it. And well, first you, they just posted the bug. They didn't actually post source code to an exploit. So it was kind of a race between the operations faculty and staff um, and the students to figure out who could to get on the system uh, and get to root first or figure out how to block that uh, exploit. Uh, but this was uh, yeah not in a nice, safe, virtualized world to where if the student did escalate to root and break something. Um, it's a long time to reinstall and format and set those machines back up back in those days. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, kind of the virtualization really gives us the ability to give students um, that root level access or, you know, maybe depend upon where they are in their in their education. Maybe it's just destruction level access. Yeah. And so, but you can, you know, you destroy a machine, you spend a little bit of time trying to recover that machine. And like if it's gone, it's gone. You throw it away and you can rebuild that machine in about uh, five minutes or ten minutes, you know. So it's a... Uh, it, it's that virtualization has really given us a lot of ability to uh, to give students kind of that that rapid exposure to develop their skills so that we can get to those um, the you know like the additional requirements to prepare them for uh, cybersecurity operating systems these days uh, mix of Windows and Linux uh, we, yes we have uh, so there's there's actually some uh, some really good programs by uh, by Microsoft and um, and VMware specifically, that give us give us academic licenses that we can distribute to students or to students. So the students have a lot of licenses to be able to stand up uh, Windows servers, Windows desktops, and a lot of applications from from Windows. And but we do a lot of work because students are pretty intuitive in the Windows, um, but not necessarily so intuitive in Linux. But if they're going out into a server environment they may very likely be exposed to Linux. So it may be somewhat uncomfortable for them. We get a little bit of resistance to not want to do it, but uh, they do a lot of work in Linux desktops, Linux workstations. Uh, right now we're currently uh, in the process of building infrastructure as a service cloud environment that is going to be 99 to 100% Linux-based, uh, that students are going to be doing lab work in. So it's going to, one of the challenges we have is students don't necessarily have the resources to run the number and the type of virtual machines that we'd like them to run. And so one of the equalizers is to be able to push that to a cloud. And uh, so we're pushing that, that, that environment to a cloud, which is really going to be a lot of learning opportunity for students to not only do the labs, but we're also going to have students um, doing the system administration, um, the development stuff through teams that are student-based teams. Yeah, those are great skills to be building. Uh, and if you're starting a, a tech company today, 
my personal recommendation is you you shouldn't be buying servers. Uh, the Amazons, the Googles, Microsofts, uh, Rackspace here in San Antonio, um, and a whole handful of uh, other companies out there all do an excellent job of buying servers, deploying them, and running the base level of the infrastructure. And um, you should be spending your time studying the software, uh, the components, the constructs, um, and how to assemble those together into an architecture that uh, stays safe on the security side and also uh, allows you the, the speed, as he said, to be able to uh, tear down and bring up a new machine in five minutes. If it's a physical server that's yours, uh, it's not that quick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for news, traffic, and weather here at the bottom of the hour, and we will be back to continue talking uh, cybersecurity education and uh, many other interesting topics with Dr. Kevin Barton from Texas A&M San Antonio. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Dr. Kevin Barton from Texas A&M San Antonio. We're talking uh, all about uh, cybersecurity, the programs they have down there at campus, the National uh, Cyber Defense Competition, and, and uh, many other things. Uh, here in this segment, we're going to dive into some of the student organizations and other things uh, on campus at uh, A&M San Antonio. If you missed the first half of the program and would like to listen to it in full, uh, we post our rebroadcasts and replays uh, online on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com as well as on iTunes Podcasts and Pocket Casts for your Android devices. Uh, each program goes online on the Tuesday uh, after we air here. So if you're listening to us uh, Saturday night in your car and uh, want to sit down and hear the whole thing, uh, you can do that next week on Tuesday morning. So uh, on campus there now, you've, you're going to have a, a start in this year, this 24 uh, 7 on campus student uh, vibrant um, environment. But you guys have had some student organizations uh, long before this, including one related to uh, security. Uh, yes, uh, so one, one, of the, one of the long-standing organizations we've had is the uh, Student Cyber Organization. Uh, that is um, an organization um, organized and run by students that, uh, that are interested in cyber. Um, most of the students are in one of the computing programs, but it, it's open to students that are, that are you know, in management or something else. But the students that join the Student Cyber Organization um, are primarily interested in competing. So that's sort of where the, the feeding ground, I guess, to, to develop the students that are going to be uh, competing in, say, the PCDC competitions or other competitions. It provides an opportunity for students to work with other students to develop their skills so that they would be better prepared for competition, but also to um, sort of start to build that networking for uh, once they graduate to, to secure and develop their own professional skills or secure jobs and develop their own professional skills. So this, I, I would think of this as like the uh, intramural equivalent to, um, in, on the sports side where maybe some folks that don't make the team, but they still want to play, um, in the sports or can maybe, uh, compete with each other on campus or other camp, uh, other teams on campus. They would, 
uh, in sports, you would join an intramural league. This is kind of intramural. Do people like here in the cyber uh, org actually, um, do people in the Student Cyber Association, do they actually run competitions against each other? Uh, you know, they have not run competitions against each other. It's more like practice, right? So you, so you got to go spend a lot of time at practice before you go to the to the game. Yeah. Uh, so for every hour of game time, you probably have five hours of practice. Um, this is that five hours of practice. Okay. Um, they, they've got, uh, when we were still, our campus was still at, uh, at Brook City Base. Um, they had their own lab with their own hardware. Um, and they would build networks. They built, would build machines. And uh, so a lot of that, uh, a lot of the competitions, you know, before you can really succeed in, uh, in the security part of the competition, you have to be able to administer and operate the machines. And uh, and they, they begin there by administering and operating machines, but they also sort of do their own injects and uh, do their own attacks and, and defend against those. But it, it's, it's, it's really the practice grounds. But it goes a little bit beyond um, just preparation for competition. Uh, it also is a place where students will uh, provide assistance to other students on on projects and labs and so forth right so one of the things that we might do is write a lab in our mind it's a it's a, it's a perfect lab in the student's mind it's like stupid and ridiculous and it, and it doesn't work and so one of the places they go find assistance to be able to get through the lab is with the, the student cyber organization the students that are in that cyber organization uh, the ones that have already been in the university for a bit of time and have had covered a lot of the coursework are able to help the students that are that are newer to the to the university and a little earlier in their coursework. Yeah, because some of the students may go, this lab that they give me doesn't work, and that's because they haven't learned some fundamental chunk of, of knowledge yet required. And this is where I guess you as a professor get to find out, oh, I guess I can't put that lab in this course at that point in time unless these kids have taken this other prerequisite. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that I like to do in my labs is leave a piece in there for students to have to do some self-exploration and some self-problem solving. Because, you know, like I tell my students, whatever you learn in this university or any university is not going to be enough to carry you through your career. Yeah. Uh, I, when, when, I, when, when I started my professional life, uh, there was no internet. And, and I, was not, uh, I was not a computer person at all. I was telecommunications. I did radios. And as things evolve, your life in radio goes away and you become something else. So whatever they learn in, in the university today is not going to be sufficient to carry them through their entire working life. And so they have to be able to self-teach. And so if we give them a lab that says, click this icon, enter this command, whatever, well, any student can follow through that. But if we give them a lab that says, I don't know, for example, encrypt this drive but i don't tell them the exact steps for encrypting the drive they're going to have to go out and find perhaps some literature or something and and so some of the complexities and some of the problems for the labs are are intentional some of them are unpredicted uh, but uh but they don't always uh they don't always like or appreciate those complexities and and often where they can find that assistance is from other students in the in the cyber org 
Yeah, because like that encrypt the drive example, as I'm running through in my head, I, I could see students coming up with uh, very simple solutions to that. If you're on Windows, you can go into the disk manager and you can just check a box and it will start encrypting the disk and it'll ask you for a password or it can even just tie it into your user account. Um, whereas there's also all sorts of uh, third-party software they could download uh, or maybe there's even open source projects they could download and have to install a compiler on the computer and compile the thing and then run the whole thing. So you could get a whole host of solutions of, of some students that spent 30 seconds on that lab all the way to people that spent the better part of a week or two. Right, right. And, and you know, we, we'll use tools like packet capture tools and we, we could give them really detailed instructions where uh, anybody who has never even seen that tool uh, could just follow through the instructions and come up with a packet capture. But what they don't necessarily have is sort of the depth of understanding which parts of those packet captures are relevant for whatever problem we're giving them. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's part of the, the intent in the coursework is to be able to give the students that foundation and the intellectual curiosity to be able to go out and solve problems they haven't necessarily seen yet. Yeah, and then that will be for those of you in high school or college listening uh, to this and uh, trying to learn a little more, uh, maybe exploring a career in uh, computer security, computer science, or information systems. It, it's really about solving problems in technology. Um, it's puzzle solving, and that's what's going to be uh, your whole career going forward. You're going to learn how to do specific things, encrypt a disk or other activities on your current set of systems. Uh, but most of your, your day will be spent with something that cropped up that's weird that there's no set of instructions for because um, these technology platforms are complex systems. Uh, and often, even if you are the, the chief um, information officer and you think you've dictated an entire systems and architecture and policy and procedures, even if your team's following all those, you're going to be interacting with third-party systems that... Uh, you don't have control over when they make changes or how they make changes. And those uh, changes are going to flow all the way down inside uh, your systems. An example, an easy example is every time a patch or an operating system update is rolled out, it can change the way everything on the computer works. So um, you can't say, no, we're not going to roll those patches out. This used to be what um, many IT departments would try to do in the, the 1990s, 1980s. They would freeze systems. They'd have these complex uh, testing and patch update deployment procedures, but now with the the speed of cyber risk, uh, if a patch comes out today for a remote exploit on your computer, you have to install it today because if you don't install it today, the hackers will reverse engineer that remote exploit opportunity and turn it into a tool that they can blast out across the internet and infect every computer that's not patched. I mean, an example of, of this recently that made uh, much of the news was a this WannaCry or WannaCrypt ransomware it was the first time that a internet worm uh, technology was mixed with a ransomware technology. So it got a lot of press. And this was a, using an exploit that a patch had been available for a month. So if you had a, a patching cycle where you patched within that month, you were going to be okay. If you hadn't patched in that first month, then potentially every computer in your um, whole department or your whole company could get uh, hacked and encrypted by this uh, hacker tool. Uh, that happened to the National Health Service in uh, the UK, uh, happened to a uh, Honda manufacturing plant over in Japan because um, they were on likely, uh, I don't know for certain, but I believe that those type of organizations are likely still on a very uh, top-down process-driven patch uh, only applies after it's been tested and retested um, on a very strict deployment cycle. 
going uh, back to some of the uh, activities at Texas A&M San Antonio. So in the professional world, there's the the ISSA, the Information System Security Association. Many of uh, the cyber professionals all across San Antonio and all across the world uh, are uh, parts of an ISSA chapter. Uh, my understanding is you have a, a student chapter there on the A&M San Antonio campus. Yeah, we have a, we have a student chapter for ISSA and uh, and it's uh, it's it's associated with the Alamo chapter, the ISSA Alamo chapter, where the other one was a little bit more um, student experience focused for kind of developing their their academic skills and and uh, the ISSA chapter is a little bit more uh, industry uh, focused. So it's it's sort of the arm for students to uh, to get introduced into. Uh, really, the local uh, the local security industry and and the and the the professionals that are that are running that industry here in San Antonio. Uh, so uh, we we encourage students that are to to be involved with both organizations. One is really the student cyber organization is to develop their their academic skills and and uh, make the most of their their experience at the university. Whereas the uh, student NISA chapter. Um, allow students uh, to interact and start to work with the actual security professionals right here in town. So uh, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, uh, you had mentioned that there's a, a cloud computing uh, system that's getting built uh, out at the on the AM San Antonio campus. It's um, I've heard it's going to be called the JAG Cloud, but uh, this is not like Judge Advocate General. So where, where does JAG Cloud come from? Uh, so the the mascot for a and San Antonio is Jaguars. Um, everything ends up being Jag something. So uh, so th- this uh, it kind of as things in cyber and and computing goes today, um, it everything accelerates. Yeah. So uh, so when we first started talking about this, we were we were looking for a way to to sort of equalize student resources. You know, like they're particularly their computing resources. Some students might have, you know, we still have students that come in with, uh, with, a, with a legacy computer that's a 32-bit operating system, and, and they cannot upgrade to a 64-bit. Um, and so as we're preparing labs and projects, you know, we have something in mind, and, and we'll build it on our computers at home or in the office, and uh, then we give it out to the students, and we find that maybe they don't have enough computing resources, they don't have um, sufficient uh memory or or storage even and they can't actually just execute the labs and so one of the ways that we could uh, that we could give more students the ability to to do the labs and the projects without running into so many problems is to um is to offer basically the hardware but we can't really just give students computers to walk out the door with um, what we can do is uh is is develop a cloud environment where students can reach into that cloud environment regardless of where they are on campus at home or even if we have uh, students that might be taking remote classes you know we have military students and maybe they deploy and they need to be able to do the do the work so um, so we started looking at options and um, we thought we might have a pilot study in the fall and go to a full-scale deployment in the spring and as it turns out they said hey here's some money can you go to full-scale deployment in about two weeks 
And, uh, and so we're, we are going through the rapid development of that. Um, but I think we're going to start deploying that environment uh, here in, uh, in July so that students coming in in, uh, in the fall semester will have access to this cloud. But it's, if you've thought of or if you've experienced uh, Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud Platform or something like that, Rackspace, um, it's that type of environment where uh, we'll be able to spin up machines. You know, we could spin up a machine for a class demonstration or we can issue a machine to a student to use uh, throughout the semester. Um, and they'll be able to do a whole range of, um, of labs and projects on it. Could be that they're doing uh, coursework for database class or uh, coursework for some other programming class or even a development class. But we'll also be able to support um, security classes. And uh, it'll be a whole new capability. At, you know, we've got in mind some of the things that we're going to be able to do with it. But I think we're going to have a, a lot more rich platform um, to deliver as a learning environment for students than um, than we've had in the past. Yeah, that's it's interesting as you, you talk through this, and I'm thinking back, and like my computer labs in college were all um, built and designed around the fact that you were going to be sitting in the computer lab or one of the labs, depending on which class you were taking on campus somewhere, using those computing resources because nobody had a computer to take home uh, that had any sort of uh, capabilities near what we had in the big systems on campus at that point in time. And now the like, students have to buy books, but students are probably also expected, as you said, to have a, a laptop with four gigs of memory, at least and a 64 bit operating system to be able to maybe use VirtualBox or some other tools to run virtual machines on their laptop or VMware will um, gives out academic versions like the, their um, desktop virtualization stuff's amazing. Uh, and, be able to do that to get their their homework done these days it's almost like you've got textbooks but then you need to really have um, some computing power and resources yourself um, and for an affluent student that's probably not a big deal uh, computers are not that expensive these days but for a student maybe that's on campus on a scholarship being able to have access to those computing resources can be the difference between um, them excelling or them struggling through a lot of the coursework oh yeah so even you know you mentioned computers with four gigs of ram um, I have seen a lot of students struggle to complete like the labs and projects because they only have a computer with four gigs of RAM. So, um, you know, if a student comes to me and asks, hey, what should I get for a computer? I tell them I wouldn't get anything less than eight gigs of RAM and there you go. You know, like i3 or i5 processor and or equivalent. Um, but uh, but it does become a challenge because, you know, uh, we have students from uh, from you know, that, that may be working professionals even, or students that are just coming out of high school, that uh, some, some of the students do have really powerful, capable machines, and they can run multiple virtual machines at one time on that, on that one computer. Um, but we have some students that, um, that may not even be able to really want, run one machine, especially, so, so we have uh, some computer forensics classes. Even the virtual machines and the computer forensics classes require a lot of computing power yeah and so we can solve the problem that we were talking about of like system at or admin access or root level access by running virtual machines but what we can't do is solve that deficiency if they have it of computing power um, this jag cloud is going to give us that ability to to solve that but but it also introduces capabilities that for for teaching and learning that we haven't previously had and that's um, where 
in the past, you know, if we wanted students to actually experience uh, maybe uh, monitoring a network for security or um, or standing up uh, uh, incident response or preparing for uh, disaster recovery, uh, we might have to find uh, a place for them to do an internship. Well, we still want students to do an internship, but uh, this JAG Cloud is going to introduce uh, the capability for us uh, to stand up what are essentially permanent teams that are going to be um, manned by students and the students are going to be actively engaged perhaps even you know beginning in their first year where they could be uh, planning security governance planning uh, incident response security operations uh, center operations and so forth so the cloud sounds like it's going to be built by the university but operated for and by students uh, predominantly yeah, so this is, um, you know, because probably every organization almost, at least like almost every university, hosts something somewhere else. And and in a sense, that's essentially cloud-hosted, right? Um, but that's, students don't have, they don't operate, they don't, they don't touch that stuff for the most part because the organization can't risk um, problems. They can't, they have no risk tolerance for, the, for those systems. Um, these are systems that that are not production other than for students to, to do labs. So um, so the students are going to have um, a lot of autonomy in those systems and um, we protect that system so essentially by controlling um, how much of it is public facing. So if it's, there will be some machines that are public facing, some fa machines will not be public facing. So, one of the things that we currently do, and one of the advantages we have for for using virtualization in our labs, is that you know we can run a machine on on somebody's computer that um, that nobody can reach into that machine, um, and so we're still going to have that capability in in the JAG cloud. But uh, we could also advance the sort of the evolution of that of a given machine, where maybe a student stands it up, they configure it, and they go through a hardening process. And then maybe they expose it to the internet. So we'll have capabilities that we couldn't do when we were doing the virtualization on their own hosts. Yeah. So the, they'll get to set up uh, whether they, they think they're doing it on purpose or not a honeypot. Because uh, as soon as you put a computer on the internet these days, uh, there are people out there that will uh, do their best to discover that it's there. And then they're going to do their best to find out if they can get inside and take over those computing resources. Uh, because if, if they can take control of it, even a, a computer in a lab environment that doesn't have any confidential or personal data on it, it still has computing resources. And at a minimum, uh, they can go mine for Bitcoin with it. Um, um, or they could do something more malicious, like try to crack passwords with it or use it as a launching pad to go hack other people. So uh, I love the idea of you guys being able to set that up, let those go out there. You're going to have some other network monitoring and security pieces going on. So as you see this, um, students are going to get a real chance to learn from uh, just uh, what does it look like out there in the real world on the Internet. Because if you, you put up a, an unpatched um, machine without any security stuff in front of it, it's hacked in a matter of minutes these days on the Internet. Um, I think some folks believe that's hyperbole every time I say it. Uh, and they haven't actually gone out and done it and tried themselves, so they'd know it wasn't. Segwaying a little bit here as we uh, 
wrap the program up. It's been a pleasure having you on a wonderful conversation today. Uh, one uh, question that was burning in the back of my mind is uh, going through in, in between the uh, breaks and off the air, we've talked about uh, all sorts of other things, not uh, teaching college uh, that Dr. Barton has uh, gone through and, and done in his, his life and background and career. What led you into uh, becoming a university professor? Uh, you know, like everything, you kind of stumble into it. I was a uh, career Air Force. Um, after I retired, I had uh, moved here to San Antonio, and I was working uh, for a DOD program office in uh, F. Fort Sam Houston. Um, I w- had a CISSB certification, and one of the requirements to maintain that certification is continuing education. Uh, I was looking for a way to to consistently and maintain that certification, and, and I had thought, well, you know what, I'll try teaching. And I put in for an adjunct position and uh, kind of incidentally they said, hey, how about a uh, how about a full-time position? And so I took a full-time position at the time at Our Lady of the Lake University and I taught there for, for five years and um, went back and I thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm full-time teaching, I better get a PhD. So I went in and uh, started working a PhD and completed my PhD in 2014, I believe it was. Um, and then uh, uh, there was a... Texas A&M San Antonio was uh, was expanding their their program. We had stood up a computer science program, and um, they were getting more and more students, expanding fact or like adding new faculty positions in uh, computer information systems and computer science. And uh, so I transferred to uh, A&M in uh, 2013. Yeah. Well, there you go. So if you've been listening, thinking if, uh, about going to uh, A&M San Antonio and enrolling, uh, applying and trying to enroll in their uh, computer science and uh, computer information systems and cybersecurity track, you've got a chance to learn from a hands-on, real-world practitioner turned college professor. Uh, thank you again for joining us this week. It's been wonderful. <laughs>